Love Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. What happens when one of the richest men in the world decides to divorce his wife and then starts dating the wife of one of the most powerful men in Hollywood? Well, we're about to find out. CBS 2's Rachel Kim live in Hollywood with the latest on that. Rachel. Well, Jeff, today, text messages allegedly sent between Bezos and his girlfriend were released. Now, as more details emerge about their reported relationship, we wanted to know how his divorce could impact Hollywood. Not long after Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos and his wife Mackenzie announced they were divorcing after 25 years of marriage, reports surfaced that Bezos had been dating TV personality Lauren Sanchez. I'm Lauren Sanchez. It's Thursday, October 26th. She's now separated from her husband, Patrick Whitesell. He's the co-CEO of the Hollywood agency WME and reportedly introduced Bezos to his wife. All three were photographed together in 2017 at an Amazon party. Hollywood is an emotional place, and so I would suspect in the short term at least uh, that there'll be some awkwardness. Jonathan Handel is a contributing editor for The Hollywood Reporter and an entertainment lawyer. He says this divorce can negatively affect Amazon. Since the Bezos assets must be split equally in their divorce, she can become one of the company's largest shareholders. And the question is whether they will continue to get along amicably, as they seem to be right now, uh, or whether tension at some point would develop that might create uh, tensions within the company. Handel says the relationship between Bezos and Sanchez may have an impact on what we see on the big and small screens. Amazon is a major distributor, major financier of both movie-type product and television series-type product. If I were an agent at WME, William Morris Endeavor, the talent part, and was thinking of taking a project to Amazon, I might hesitate a little. Bezos has not commented on his reported relationship with Sanchez, but his spokesperson says he remains focused on his company. Reporting live tonight in Hollywood, Rachel Kim, CBS 2 News. Good afternoon, and the most high God in the name of Christ bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. This afternoon, we are going to discuss a divorce. Um, recently, it was announced that uh, Jeff Bezos and his wife Mackenzie were getting a divorce, and this is notable for one reason, uh, that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world at a hundred and about roughly $137 billion. So this is going to be a huge deal as far as dividing up those assets and so forth. Joining me here today to discuss this whole topic of divorce are my brothers uh, Kabar and Kazakia. Shalom, Kabar. Hey, Shalom. Good to be with you. Josiah, good to be with you. Brother Kazakia, uh, good to be with the audience. And as always, giving all honor, praise, and glory to the Most High in the name of Christ for this opportunity to edify his people according to his word. So, good afternoon to everyone. And good afternoon to you, Kazakia. Shalom, brothers. First and foremost, giving all praises to the Heavenly Father and the Son, Christ. And definitely thankful for the opportunity to come back and participate in another program with a hope that. The listeners to this program may receive edification in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, brothers, this whole thing about divorce, uh, it has uh, some serious, serious weighty complications, uh, uh, implications, brother, not only for the two people that are divorcing, but also for their children, their extended family, for the community, and in fact, the country and the whole world. You know, all of those are implications. Uh, whenever someone goes to divorce And divorces are rampant throughout the world Especially in the United States of America And it is, I think it's very, very important It's crucial that people understand This whole thing about divorce And they also understand 
uh, how to prevent it. So we see this whole thing going on with uh, Jeff Bezos, and we see uh, how vile it is. But, because um, Dr., if you will, what, what, what are some of the uh, chief points about this Bezos uh, divorce that stands out of your mind as far as something that goes wrong, that something is wrong with it, and why? Well, well, it um, it it talks about when you read the article. Uh, a uh, divorce his wife in twenty five years, and it and it gives it gives the uh, the sense that the 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 reasoning behind the divorce will be something along the lines of irreconcilable differences. But let's understand that term irreconcilable differences basically. Uh, it, 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 it depends with the couple. Sometimes there are just those irreconcilable differences and other instances or other occasions that term irreconcilable differences is just a smokescreen for layered problems or layered things that are going on that uh, either one or both members of the couple don't want coming to the surface. So we have to we have to take all of that and, and weigh it out, especially when we're dealing with the topic of divorce and that terminology, if it ever comes up, of quote unquote irreconcilable differences. Okay, so Kazaki um, is pointing to the fact that uh, you know oftentimes people are citing irreconcilable differences as one of the reasons why folks get divorced. And that that's just simply a mask that's being used to uh, hide uh, uh, much more significant, deeper, uh, really vile reasons that they're getting divorced, similar to this uh, Bezos situation. In, in, in the, uh, uh, the blurb that they put out, there was nothing mentioned in there that we're divorcing because of adultery. It was, uh, you know, we had a trial separation. We kind of grow apart, and we still love each other. It was kind of that type of tone, okay? But when you look at it, it looks very much like uh, Jeff Bezos is carrying on an adulter- adulterous relationship with uh, another lady, uh, Lon Sanchez, a former TV anchor and wife of Hollywood talent mogul Patrick Whitefield. So that's the way it looks. I mean, because they're dating. Bezos is not divorced, and, and they're dating. So what does dating equate to? Dating equates to sex. So this this is adultery, right? So um, go ahead, Kabar. Well, uh, you know the thing is, first let's let's see. They they're talking about they getting divorced. Like you mentioned, they didn't. Uh, uh, give specific as to why that was. No one said the other cheated, so on and so forth. But just to lay some groundwork for framework for what we're dealing with, Matthew 5 and 31 says, uh, It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his right, let him give her a bill, excuse me, a writing of divorcement. So this is the old covenant under the first covenant uh, that God made with his people Israel. But now Christ is talking about under the new covenant. That the Most High made with the people of Israel. When you read Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, what does he say? Matthew, Excuse me for cutting uh, in, Kabar, but for those people who might not know, would you just briefly explain what covenant means? Okay, so covenant just is an old uh, English word for saying contract agreement. That's all covenant. Okay. Is. Okay. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, even in your largest institution, the Federal Reserve, where in large corporations, when they make uh, issue bonds, it's called covenants also. And they could be covenant okay. light or they could be regular covenant. So it just means contract or agreement. Okay. So God has so, agreements with people. Yes, yes. God made okay. contracts and agreements. And in this case, we're talking about contracts and agreements with the nation of Israel uh, when he gave Israel his covenant or his contract or his agreement. That was okay. the first contract. Under Christ now, the second contract, and you can read where the contract, a new contract was made in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Under this new contract, are we dealing with writings or bills of divorcement? Let's see. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, it says, 
But I say unto you, this is Christ. Now, what Christ is about to say is not his own opinion. He's given us the, the stipulations of the new contract that God has set up with the nation of Israel. It says, but I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So, now, is it the same way as in the past, where you could just, for, for any cause, give a right of divorce? No. Christ is saying, this is the only way a, um, divorce is substantiated, meaning legal in the sight of God. And the only way it's legal is for the cause of fornication. Fornication is just another old English word of saying uh, sex outside of marriage or or um, sex outside of the marriage covenant. So basically, any type of sexual activity outside of a married man and woman in Christ under the commandments of God, that's fornication. So in this okay. case, we're, we're talking about, okay, so... If, if a man or a woman can't substantiate that, either that man or that woman committed fornication, physical fornication, there's two types of fornication, physical fornication, spiritual fornication. Spiritual, we already mentioned physical fornication, okay, sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. This, uh, spiritual fornication is when, say, uh, you know, you, you're both in Christ, you're both in God, keeping God's commandments, and somebody goes aside, they want to worship another guy. That's spiritual fornication. And in those cases, yes, uh, um, if that person departs, that covenant is broken, and you're no longer obligated under that marriage covenant. So in this case, we don't see that situation where uh, fornication has been established. So for people to arbitrarily say, well, I'm getting a divorce, or we're divorced, or we were separated for a little while, now we decide we're going to get divorced. Well, according to the scriptures, it, it says um, if you do that and, and you uh, it says you cause a person to commit adultery alright so in the eyes of God if that situation hasn't been met you're still together and so if she lays with somebody uh, uh, that person who lay with her committed adultery she's committing adultery but you have a that man who put her away let's say in this instance that man who put her away or got you know said he wanted to get the divorce that divorce is also going to, excuse me, that fornication is also going to be, you're going to be held accountable for that also because you didn't have a legal, meaning a lawful ramification for, for putting that woman away. So just so we set up the groundwork. Okay, so we understand, yes, yeah, uh, uh, divorce is only according to fornication, whether physical or spiritual, as the scripture lays out. Also, when we talk about marriage, just let the later, later groundwork for what marriage is, when you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all in a bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, like you mentioned earlier, marriage is what? Man and woman only, not a man and man, a woman and woman. Man and woman come together in Christ under the commandments of God in a union. That marriage is honorable in all. Anything outside of that, sexual activity outside of that, the scripture says what? Well, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge, meaning you get into sexual activity outside of that bonds or that confines of that union, God is going to judge that. That is classified as uh, whoremongering and adultery and basically falls under the category of fornication. So this is what these two people are engaging in, is fornication. Okay, at the end of the day, because of the because of what they're doing, but then the catch-all thing that the world likes to use is well irreconcilable differences. Now the thing is, I know we're going to touch on another article from the Huffington Post that lists the ten most common reasons people get divorced, and number ten is inability to resolve conflict. So I can touch on this point of. Irreconcilable differences now Or I can wait till you hit that point Under those 10, 10 points Okay Well that's exactly what I want to go to next uh, And so let me go to you Kozakia uh, The Huffington Post has this uh, Article that they uh, published It's called the Huff Post I said Huffington but it's the Huff Post And the article was published uh, uh, Updated September 16 2016 And it's titled 
the 10 most common reasons people get divorced. So I'm going to start at the bottom of the list with number 10, Kozakia. And uh, mm-hmm. number 10 is the inability to resolve conflicts. And it says every couple has disagreements. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I've got to get back to my page. Every, every couple has disagreements. The key is to develop ground rules so that each partner feels respected and heard. Sometimes it takes a third-party referee to help define those rules and teach us to move through the charged emotions so resentments don't linger. So, you know, when it comes to marriage, you know, how do you go, does the scripture shed any insight at all on how to resolve conflicts? Yeah, the scriptures do uh, offer insight. I'm going to read uh, two scriptures just right quick. The first one is in Proverbs 13 and verse 10. And it says, only by pride come contention. So that word contention is an old, more or less an old English word for disagreement, conflict, or argument. Only by pride come contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. But with the well-advised or that person or person receiving counsel out of the scriptures, there is wisdom. So when you talk about inability to resolve conflict, the principal reason why there are uh, there are conflicts are not being resolved is because pride is in both parties, and they don't want to humble themselves to not say of the Lord. Oath to everybody. It is not about what the husband says. It is not about what the wife says. It's about what the Heavenly Father says and what Christ is teaching us. That's the first scripture. The second scripture, Kabbalah was in the chapter. He was in Hebrews 13. But now I want to read Hebrews 13 and uh, verse 8. And it says this. It says, Where is that? Tell me that, Kabbalah. Is that scripture that talks about communication? Uh... Hmm. Give me a little bit more. That's all communication. But to do good and to communicate, forget not for what sacrifices the Heavenly Father is well pleased. Oh, here it is. Hebrews 13 and 16. It says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not for what sacrifices God is well pleased. So, the key to resolving conflicts, number one, humble yourself. Because at the end of the day, it's the most highest program, and we have to subject ourselves unto it. It's not about what we want. It's about what the most high wants, number one. Number two, be willing to communicate. Be willing to express yourself, not to put somebody down or to insult or to talk condescendingly condescendingly to that person, but express yourself and let the other person know what you're feeling. Then let's work it out according to the scriptures so that everybody is back on the same accord in Christ. Okay, Kabar, uh, this says that every couple, and it's number 10, every couple has disagreements. The key is to develop ground rules so that each partner feels respected and heard. Sometimes it takes a third party referee. Does the scripture say anything about a third party referee? <clears throat> yeah, well, the the third party referee is the scriptures. Okay, so the thing is, whenever we uh, have issues or conflicts, we gotta refer back to the scriptures. Okay, um, let me just let me just read this. Uh, this is Isaiah Isaiah chapter eight. Uh, Isaiah 8 and 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So first and foremost, we have to stay within the confine of Scripture, okay, because anything outside of that is not wisdom, is no understanding, is darkness, okay? So the law is written throughout, and the testimony of the Scripture is Christ, okay? When you read in John chapter 5 and 39, it proves that. Christ is the testimony of this entire Bible. So when we talk about uh, that HuffPost uh, uh, common reason people get divorced, number 10 being the inability to resolve conflicts, or what like pe- people like to term as 
irreconcilable differences. Is that true? Is that a reality? No. There are no irreconcilable differences. You only have whether one party or both parties refuse to adhere to the scripture. So only time it becomes irreconcilable is because one or both parties will not humble down to the word of God. So to prove that, when you go to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. So, yes, everybody has conflicts, but what does God say about all of the conflicts or what the scripture term as temptations that's going to come upon us? Are they irreconcilable or can they be resolved? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, they have no temptation taking you, but such that is common to man. So, understand first and foremost, any conflict, uh, 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 trial, tribulation, difficulty, adversity, whatever you're going to face in life, is not going to be so unique that you're going to be the only one in the history of mankind to have faced it. That's number one. Okay, so if you're dealing with it, many others, many other times has already dealt with it or will deal with it. Okay, so your, your situation is not unique. Get that to your head. Two, but God is faithful, the scripture continues, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. Let's deal with that part. So God is saying, look, God is faithful. He's going to be with you. Trust in him. He's going to be with you throughout the entire ordeal, whatever it may be. Okay? And he's not going to allow it to be a situation that you can't handle. So understand he's managing it. Okay? It's only going to go to a certain extent. But whatever extent it goes to, you can handle. That's the other guarantee. Now it's the third guarantee. But the scripture continues. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So you tell me where the irreconcilable differences come in at if God is always going to make a way for you to resolve the situation, no matter what the situation is. So irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences is a lie. It is a manufactured excuse by Satan to make you feel comfortable with sin. The sin we're talking about here is divorce, which nine times out of ten when you talk about divorce in this world simply leads to or comes out of fornication. So you don't got any irreconcilable differences. All you got is you got pride or both of you got pride and you're not listening to the scriptures. That's it. It's nothing else. Now, what's the, what's the other scripture that proves this irreconcilable difference thing is a farce, it's a lie, and if you, if you believe it, you follow the thing. The second one is Philippians. Let me give me a chance to turn in. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, what does that say? Philippians 4:13. It says, I can. This is Paul. Okay? It says what? I can. Do all things through Christ which strengthens you. So if you have an issue in your marriage, we already know through First Corinthians ten thirteen that number one, you can it ain't unique. Number two, you could you can handle it, and number three, you can overcome it. That's a guaranteed fact because that's what the scripture says. So in the in the scripture, Philippians tell us that you can overcome all things through Christ which strengthens you. So where is the excuse of we can't do it? Where's the excuse of we can't overcome this, or it's just something I can't get resolved. Where does that fall in? It doesn't fall in anywhere. All it is is either you or both parties don't want to humble down to the scripture, and that's it. So irreconcilable difference is a lie. Okay. All right. Brothers, I just wanted to ask also, there's a scripture, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 15, and it talks about, uh, you know, when you're offended or so forth, would that somehow fit uh, in, in this whole situation of resolving conflicts? Yes, it would. It would It would definitely fit because let's read the scripture. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, under ideal circumstances, this should be it right here. This should be the, the cutoff. Oh, I messed up. I apologize. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Okay, let's let's let's, let's resolve the thing and keep moving forward. However, when uh, 
when you read verse 16, but if he shall not hear thee, then take with thee two or two or more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. This, be, and this The application of this particular scripture right here becomes your third party referee. And okay. the persons who are supposed to be acting uh, as the witnesses should be acting and conducting and bringing forth the scriptures so that the matter can be resolved. Because the whole point of Matthew, the 18th chapter, specifically uh, verses 15 all the way down to verse 17, is to be reunited with your brother or reunited with your sister, not to end the relationship and the uh, persons go their separate separate ways. No, it's so that there is that reconciliation of that relationship, even marriages, in Christ, and that the persons, the couple, they continue forward, hopefully stronger and edified through the intervention of the witnesses bringing in the scriptures. Okay. And you you spoke in terms of being reunited with your brother, reunited with your sister, but would also be reunited with Christ because when you go on in this, uh, like in verse 17, says, if he shall uh, neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So at that point, you are excommunicated from the church, right? So this whole thing about reconciliation is, if I'm correct if I'm wrong, is not just to be reunited with your spouse, but also be being reunited with the body of Christ. Exactly, because the scriptures tells us, you know, you can go back and read in Genesis, you can read in Matthew. Uh, the therefore shall man leave his father's mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be uh, one flesh. One flesh in Christ, because it's the Heavenly Father, if both persons are applying the scriptures, repenting and growing, it's the Heavenly Father that's bringing these two together. So when there are conflicts, differences, and those conflicts and differences have been resolved as thus saith the Lord in the scriptures, then not only are you reconciled or reunited with your spouse, you are also reconciled or reunited in Christ. Okay. Well, brothers, uh, we spent a little bit of time on that one, more time than I thought we were going to spend. Uh, so let me go ahead and move on to number nine, because we still got nine more to get, get through. Uh, so the next one is different priorities and interest. And it reads, having shared interest and in exploring them together is essential for a successful marriage. Of course, having me time is important as well. But unless you can find common passions and look for ways to experience them together, you will inevitably grow farther and farther apart. Is there any um, truth to that, according to the scriptures? Yeah, I'll just uh, I'm just going to hit one real quick because it covers it in gen- in general. Because you know, as far as different priorities and interests, it talks about having a shared interest, having common mm-hmm. goals, and experiencing them together. Okay, this is a, essential for remaining the long term relationship and marriage. So when you look at the scriptures, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, right, that man and woman coming together in that, in that union, right, Matthew 6 and 33 says what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the primary goal of that man and woman in that union, first is to become one flesh, and then to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's it. That's the shared common goal, the point y'all moving to together. And there's going to be many different things, you know, that have you have kids, you have, a, 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 you know, a job, you know, so-called career. You have all these things that go on. But the overarching movement of your relationship that y'all are accomplishing together is the kingdom of heaven. So that was it on that. Okay. Do you want to add a little bit to that right quick? Please do. This is Philippians 3 and 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason why this comes up is because number nine mentions mentions different priorities and interests. The goal, 
whether you are single or whether you are married. The ultimate goal is to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you're married, then that means both husband and wife have to have that same shared vision. This is the true vision. Me and my wife, we are working together to accomplish and achieve salvation. I'm going to read the scripture again. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The high calling of God is the kingdom of heaven, salvation, bettering ourselves, spiritual growth, developing those fruits of the spirit, and teaching. All of that is accomplished, well, excuse me, all of that is involved in that high calling of the Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. That's it. Going back to you, brother. Okay. So now you're bringing up a really great point there, Kazakia. And what that brings to mind for me is are these marriages where it, you have spouses that are married to someone that is across religious boundaries. Say, for example, a Jew marrying a Christian or a Christian marrying a Muslim or a Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, you know. But you got these different religious beliefs in the family. It's like, how are you going to raise the children? Are they going to be Buddhist? Are they going to be Christian? Whatever, right? So is there a scripture that you could bring out or one or two scriptures that can be brought out that would succinctly state that when you're you're married, that this is the way it has to be structured about this common goal that you're bringing out? Because this is Paul that was talking before in the scripture you brought out in Philippians. Uh, I think it was Philippians. And that was Paul speaking, and Paul is not married. So he's just one man talking about his goal. So is there something that you could bring out to say this should be the goal in a marriage? Let me just interject. Oh, okay. if I can interject real quick. Um, now, that question you just posed, Josiah, links up with that first question in, that, in a top ten list, which is getting in for the wrong reason. Um, I mean, in my view and opinion. So I don't know if you see them as mixed together, but as far as, you know, two people coming together or... Yeah, I kind of want to keep them separate. Yeah, we'll we'll try to to bring them up, and we'll bring a nine to to one, but let's not bring one to nine. (laughs) Okay, I got you. I got you. Okay, um, allow me to read this scripture right uh, right quick. And hopefully this addresses your question as well as answers it. This is Second Corinthians chapter six and verse fourteen, and it says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. <clears throat> For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion have light with darkness?" So the scriptures also uh, pose the question in Amos: Can two walk together except they be agreed? So if you have this relationship together, then Christ has got to be the common ground. Christ has got to be the foundation. Because if not, then there's going to be a whole bunch of conflict, a whole bunch of schisms in that relationship because of the one husband has his, his belief, and then you have a wife that has a separate belief from the husband, and then there will be confusion with the children. So okay. to alleviate all of that, Christ has to be the foundation. So you, you said something. Was it Amos you said? How can two walk together? What, what was that? Exactly. This is Amos. When you go back to the Old Testament, it, it just came to me off the cuff. You got to go to Amos chapter 3. And it says, I got it. It says, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two people function, accomplish goals, resolve differences, or, or whatever, whatever the task is, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no, because one person mm-hmm. is going to pull one way, and then the other person is going to pull the other way. It's like some of those old movies when you got the convicts escaping from, escaping from prison and they're bound by that, by that one handcuff chained it together. One convict wants to go to the left and the other convict wants to go to the right. And guess what? No amount of gain is being achieved because both persons want to go separate directions. But in Christ, if it's in the realm of the confines of a marriage, Christ has to be that foundation. 
So when two are walking together, they are walking together in Christ. They're functioning together in Christ, or they're that unit, that one flesh in Christ, so that they will accomplish. They do go forward. And even when there is accomplishment and they're going forward, you're still going to have that trouble in the flesh that you can read about in First Corinthians the seventh chapter. Okay. The difference right. is. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Well, all, all thing I was going to say was the difference is the Heavenly Father gives us the tools as well as the keys in Christ in the Scriptures to help us overcome those differences and that trouble in the flesh that every married couple is going to encounter from time to time. That's it. Okay, uh, one thing I want to say before we even got into the top ten lesson, I apologize, brothers, for not saying that. You know, uh, I don't want uh, you brothers to think that there's any expectation that just in this program, we only got an hour to do this, that you're going to be able to divulge all of the nuances surrounding having a successful marriage. I know that we just skimming across the top. We're taking some of the, uh, the the bigger pieces and dealing with those. But all the, the finite nuances of it, uh, you know, there's no expectation that that's going to be covered. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to number eight. And number eight is being out of touch, literally, is what they put. So as I'm talking about physical contact, of course, sex is great, but you also need to supplement it with little hello and goodbye kisses, impromptu hugs, and simply holding hands. Couples who don't maintain an intimate connection through both sexual and non-sexual actions are destined to become virtual strangers. Now, I, I would think a lot of people might be surprised if the, if the Bible actually has anything to say about how a couple carries on, a husband and wife carry on uh, with each other sexually. Um, so, brothers, you, you help me out. Uh, does, does the scriptures say anything about that? Yeah, um, just two scriptures real quick. Um, uh, on the general, right? So, right, Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs um, we'll hit Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19, right? So, when you talk about a marriage, as far as intimacy, intimacy is concerned, since this is what this is really talking about, um, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19, it says what? It says, So, sorry, I'm in, I'm in Isaiah. Excuse me, Proverbs. <laughs> That's a lot of Proverbs. Isaiah is not going to say what going into. So Proverbs 5:19 it says, "Let her be as a loving hind in a pleasant robe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love." So basically, this is just saying that. Yes, in a marriage, there's supposed to be an, an you know, a, a very strong in, uh, intimacy and intensity among the husband and the wife. What, de- you know, what that actually is and the details of that, only that man and woman supposed to know that. But the scriptures just let you know that that is the setting it's a, it's supposed to be in, and that that's where that's where that is supposed to be. So yes, you're supposed to have. Strong intimacy between a husband and a wife. Okay, so that's, you said, that's it. So, are, are you suggesting that you can't have a, a a marriage that is pretty much void of affection and and uh, sexual intimacy and so forth? Well, I'm going to adjust that now. I'm going to adjust that. So, so yes, Proverbs shows that intimacy is supposed to be there. Okay, mm-hmm. so and how and, and like I said, the details of how that man and woman either deal with that or work that out is between them, and I don't got nothing to say about that. But let me give you the other guy. So we that's one guy post about, yes, it's supposed to be there. Let me just give another guy uh, another confine, and then people can find where they're supposed to be within it. So here's the other confine. First Corinthians chapter 7, First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4, it says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Listen up, verse 4. The wife hath not power of her own body but the husband. 
And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife. So to explain that, you just got to understand. Remember we talked about marriage and and that union, okay? Mm-hmm. Within that union, within that union and becoming one flesh, it, mixed within there is um, uh, uh, you're giving up some some level of uh, authority over your own body, meaning wow. you're you're promising yourself and committing yourself to one another, and within that, you're giving yourself, your body included, to that man, and that man is giving his body included to that woman. So each one can't say, "No, this is mine," and you don't got no rights to it. The man can't say that, and the woman can't say that because they be, it belongs to one another now. You basically is we in exchange. The woman is giving her body to the man. The man is giving her body, his body to the woman. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, why is that the case? The legal ramification. Why is that the case? Because verse five in First Corinthians chapter seven says this: "Defraud ye not one another." So understand that the word defraud is a legal term which means to withhold or take away something that legally belongs to the other party. Okay, that's the only way you can defraud someone is when you take by force something that legally belongs to the other person. And in this case, what what legally belongs to the other person is your body. So, like I said, the husband body belongs to the wife, and the wife body belongs to the husband. Now, we all, let's not get silly. We understand that there's there's uh, 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 an understanding of rules and and uh, uh, depending on like just an understanding of how that's supposed to work out. Okay, we're not talking about you can put somebody in slavery or anything like that. We're talking about um, authority being yielded to one another as far as your body is concerned. Okay, and so I don't know there's the sounds going off in the background, but it says. Verse 5, it says, Defraud ye not one another, because your body legally belongs to the other person, and, with, and when you withhold it, it's defrauded. Okay? It's a problem. It's, it's a sin. It says, Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time. Now, number one, if you're going to withhold your body, you, it has to be agreed upon, and it's for a time. And what is that time for? Except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Okay, so that means it ain't, listen, you'll see the world says, hey, you don't want to do this? Well, you ain't going to get none tonight. That's defrauding. That's sin. That's wickedness. Well, if the man do it as wicked, if the woman do it as wicked, don't do it. It's a sin. It's defrauding. Okay? So the scripture says, but if you're going to withhold yourself from each other, come together, agree on it. That's where the consent part comes in. For what? So that you can fast, prayer, because many times you see in the scriptures where we needed to do that, whether we was going up to meet the most high, whether it was a holy day, whether it was different things going on, this consent had to happen, okay? So then it says what? It says, and come together again, that Satan take you not for your incontinency. So the scriptures keep making me, I'm very clear, listen, it's going to be for a time, it ain't forever, it's for a time, and you and y'all supposed to come together again. When you say come together again, he means intimacy, sexually, okay? Because okay. if you don't, it's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to go into the realm of defraud. So we have the okay. confines of these. Here's the two confines. Yes, you're supposed to be intimate, and no, you're not supposed to defraud each other. Work it out within those confines. Okay. Very good, bro. Uh, let's go on to number seven because we're losing time here. Finances. Kazakia. It reads, uh, it's not usually the lack of finances that causes the divorce, but the lack of compatibility in the financial arena. Opposites can attract, but when two people are opposites in the financial department, divorce often ensues. Imagine a conflict if one is a savior, saver and one is a spender. One is focused on the future while the other believes in living for today. One has no problem buying on credit while the other believes in saving up for what one wants. Over time, this conflict can reach such heights that divorce seems to be the only logical conclusion. Kazakia, does the scripture shed any lights on these finances? 
Right. Um, and I'm looking for that scripture right now that talks about for wisdom and defense is a defense and money is a defense. It's in Ecclesiastes. But the overall point being, that's a part of uh, the, that, the couple being on that one accord in Christ. It's not just, okay, we're going to keep the Sabbath day together. Being on one accord in Christ means you're on one accord in every aspect, in every part of your life, in every facet of your life. I'm looking for that scripture. It says, for wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. Um, and like I said, it's in Ecclesiastes. Uh, yeah, here it is. For wisdom is a defense in Ecclesiastes 7 and 12. And money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth light to them that have it. The point that I wanted to emphasize is that first part. For wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. To a couple working together, they both have to understand this. these are our finances, no matter how great or how small they may be. We have to go about dealing with our, our finances responsibly. And the only way that that can truly happen in Christ is if there is that communication that I read about in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. There has to be that communication. There has to be that openness so that the finances are not being misused and abused. Okay. Because uh, I'm uh, sorry, Kabar, can you give me just one small quick scripture that would speak to the same point about uh, these finances? Uh, no, I mean, if not, I, we just move I, to the I, next one. Yeah, move to the next one, bro. Okay. Um, All right, so just go ahead, go ahead. So the next one is unmet expectations. Somewhere in, in into a human genetic code lie the instruction that when a person isn't happy, he or she is supposed to force his or her significant to make the change required to make the unhappy person happy again. This usually takes the form of complaining, blaming, criticizing, nagging, threatening, punishing, and abiding. When one or both people in a marriage are attempting to coerce each other into doing things they don't want to do for their partner's, un- partner's happiness, it is a recipe for disaster. When you are unhappy in a relationship, it's okay to ask for the change you want. But if your partner doesn't oblige you, then you become responsible for your own happiness. What does the scripture say about that, brothers? Un- unmet un- expectations leading to divorce. You got it, Doc. Okay. When we talk about unmet expectations, we have to understand something. Who, whose expectations are we really supposed to be meeting? In other words, do my expectations supersede the expectations of the Heavenly Father? If so, then there's a problem. Does the wife's expectation, does her expectations mm-hmm. supersede uh, the expectations of the Heavenly Father? If so, here again, that's still a problem. So let's read what the Most High expects. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'm going to read uh, verses, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel... What the Lord, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. So guess what, people? These are the expectations, period. And it's our job, whether we are single or whether we are married, Make sure that we're doing the, what we're supposed to do to make sure we meet these expectations. In the case of a, of, a, of a couple, both the husband and the wife have to work together to meet the Lord's expectations. Within that, if there is something lacking or if there is something that one or the other would like to do or would like to see, then again, it involves that communication. And not just the communication the willingness to please your husband or to please your wife as long as what what you're being asked to do does not conflict with the expectations of the Heavenly Father. So there's got to be that communication here again, but there's also has to be that willingness. 
Willingness is the opposite of pride. If you've got pride, then guess what? You're going to be your own stumbling stone in your relationship with your husband or with your wife. But if you don't and you're willing to work with your husband or your wife to meet those expectations, here again, as long as they don't uh, supersede the expectations of the Heavenly Father, then why not? Work at it. Okay. All right. Thank you for that, bro. I've got one scripture to go with that. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to say it. It's Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 11. Uh, so let's go on to the next one. The next one is uh, number five, the intimacy disappears. All right. So since this seems to be sort of redundant, but let's see what it says. It says somewhere in a marriage, there is a subtle change in the intimacy department. One person has an off day. There's a misunderstanding or someone doesn't feel well. Then there's the idea that he isn't as romantic or she isn't as sexual. Whoever is the one with the subtle change can trigger a downward spiral in the intimacy department. Men generally need sexual receptivity uh, to feel romantic, and women generally need romance to uh, be sexual receptive. As long as both people are getting what they need, they willingly provide what the other person wants. However, when there is a lessening on either either's part, they can trigger a pulling back in the other. If gone unnoticed and unchecked before the couple realizes, they are seriously, intimately estranged and wonder what happened. This can lead to divorce as couples begin to feel unloved and unappreciated. So, uh, Kabar. Uh, anything on the intimacy disappearing? Well, I would I, no, brother. I would just the, the same one we went over about um, in First um, Corinthians. I mean Proverbs five about you know that that inti- intimacy is supposed to be there, and then First Corinthians seven about not defrauding one another. What, because we can't give the details, or, you know, give any details as far as how a man and woman is going to work that out. Yes. Right. It goes right back to staying within those confines, and and you know. I, work I totally agree. Number five and number eight go together. Number five and eight go, go together. together. So we can go ahead and move to number four. And number four yep. is not having a shared vision of success. Everything changed and read. Everything changed when we got married. He drives you crazy because you're a saver and he's a spender. Your idea of a weekend getaway is a cozy cottage in the woods. Your partner wants to hit the town and catch a game. He thinks it's your job to cook and clean, but you disagree. Why didn't he mention these things before? Maybe you should have asked. Chances are that he hasn't changed. Your expectations did. Is it possible to survive major differences in philosophy? Is it possible, but many do not. It is possible, but many do not. So the shared vision of success, not having a shared vision of success. Is that one of those things that will lead you to divorce? And what does Scripture have to say about this, brothers? Okay, let me let me read this right quick. This is Joshua chapter one, and it's uh, verse eight, and it says, "This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." We have our carnal conception of what success is, and then there's the most high conception of what success is. In okay. a marriage, the husband and the wife have to have that spiritual conception of what the law says of what success is. Now, there's nothing wrong with achieving goals. Husband supporting his wife, wife supporting her, supporting her husband to achieve goals. There's nothing wrong with that. But right. the true success comes with the adherence and the application of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we and go out right that way, can, uh-huh. we, can we leave it right there and let that be said enough? Because you brought it out, you brought the scripture out about success. It's about adhering to those words okay. because we've got very, very little time and we've got three more to cover. Okay. So the next one is becoming lost in the roles. Just as many couples forget their single friends and single ways when they get married, when you add children into the mix, most parents soon neglect or completely forget that they are a couple. As children grow and need less attention, many husbands and wives find that they have grown apart 
and they can't remember why they ever got married in the first place because they are no longer have anything in common. So becoming lost in the roles, brothers. So I was I would just say that um and and just just to pass this on your side, if we you know I could I could stay over ten minutes you know just just so we uh are able to get it. But, um, we can't do that like we used to. Okay, cool. So so. Uh, in, in Psalm chapter, as far as the roles are concerned, Psalm chapter 78, verses 5 through 7, is the role of the father or the husband. Um, in 1 Timothy 5, 14, is the roles of the mother and the wife. Um, and, and, okay. and, so that, and so that doesn't get lost over time, if everybody focus still flows into Matthew 6 and 33 about seeking the kingdom first, then everybody kind of stays on track. The husband, okay. the husband mm-hmm. and father know what he, he's supposed to do. The mother and wife know what she's supposed to do, and everybody flowing in the in the direction of the kingdom. Let's leave that right there. Let's go to number two. Lack, well, we don't have time. I'm sorry, bro. Uh, go to lack of individual identity. Number two, a codependent relationship is not healthy when you don't have your own interest or the opportunity to express yourself outside of a coupledom. You become a couple dumb. If you are not comfortable doing things without your partner or you don't know what kind of music, movies, or foods you used to like, you are likely in deep and you probably and you probably feel like you're drowning and don't know why. Lack of individual identity. Does scripture say anything about that? Yeah, Matthew chapter nineteen. Let me hit that, Zach. You, you can hit number one. Um so as far as that individuality and on uh on number two the world puts a high focus and premium premium on individuality, but the scriptures in Genesis chapter two and verse twenty four talks about becoming one flesh. Also in First Corinthians chapter one and verse ten talks about having the same mind and the same judgment. So the focus is not being on individual but being one in Christ. Okay. All right, thank you for that, Bo. And the last one, Kazakia, getting in for the wrong reasons. Married for money. We've all heard that that is the ticket to quick to a quick divorce but what about when you marry because it's what you think you should do i've met many divorced women who say the problem that made them leave were there right from the beginning but everyone expected us to live happily ever after or we had already spent so much money on the wedding or we just had just built our dream home so remember until you say i do you always have a choice to say i don't get in for the wrong reasons because i hear does the scripture say anything about that? First Corinthians three and eleven. For all the foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So guess what? Christ has to be the foundation of your relationship that's supposed to lead toward the marriage. Point blank. Both parties repeating, uh, repenting. Both parties working together, striving for that grand goal, which is the key, which is the kingdom of heaven, Father, and salvation. Also, as a reference. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 7, and also Ecclesiastes chapter 40, verse 23. Okay. Brothers, uh, uh, for all those in the audience, because we've kind of sped through this, this whole uh, list of 10 things, and I know that we did not go deep enough to satisfy your every question, but there are other uh, programs here in Blog Talk in our archives concerning marriage. I will encourage you to uh, seek those programs, search them. They should be very easy to find. Just search for marriage on, on our page, and you should be able to find them. And they will go into more detail about this, these very same topics. And if, if not that, then there are other ways to get in contact with us also, and you're going to hear that in the outro. So, brothers, thank you for so, so much for being here today. And most of all, thanks to the Most High, in the name of His Son, Christ, for giving us the strength and the ability and willingness to do this. Until next time. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-871. 1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom.